Consummate Athlete seeks health, community, and adventure through movement. And here on the podcast, longtime endurance coach and kinesiologist Peter Glassford and author and cycling coach Molly Herford are helping you lead your best active, adventurous life. Every week, we talk with professional athletes, health and fitness experts, and of course, real-life consummate athletes. We're excited to have you along for the ride. Hey, Peter. How's it going? I'm excited to be here. He said enthusiastically. Yeah. Well, we're back. We're back. We have a, another special Friday episode. Yeah, that's right. We've been doing uh, all through May, two episodes a week to kind of celebrate our new relaunched website. Uh, so everyone should head over to consummateathlete.com. Check it out. We sort of have, it's now our, our hub, we'll say, where all of the articles that I write live, all of Peter's coaching lives, um, every camp, clinic, event, all that kind of stuff that we will eventually be back to doing, but any virtual stuff we're doing in the meantime. Um, new videos are coming out like everything is just living on there right now and, and then also the podcast also the podcast right um yeah we're we're super stoked on it uh we've gotten some really good feedback from people who've, who've you know started perusing it and gone back in our archives and yeah, don't go too through. far back we have to keep cleaning we're working on it yeah um, but yeah i mean if you can check it out let us know what you think that would be awesome see if you catch any any issues um although if it's a post beyond like six months ago we know there's issues we're working on it um yeah still still kind of in the process but yeah really really excited about it and we thought uh, because we're so stoked on it we wanted to bring just a ton of content this may um you know we know some people are looking for a lot more to listen to. Some people are looking for a you know, shorter answer to a shorter question. So we wanted to start doing these bit shorter episodes on Friday, kind of just hitting on one key topic. Yeah. So we thought, you know, with the everything going on and, and just, you know, people even trying some new exercise, trying to be more active and whatnot, one topic that seems to come up is this idea of how hard should we go and and why do people drop out of exercise really right like that's sort of the big question is especially right now is is you know why has everyone started exercising you know walking more and, and getting outside some of that answer might seem obvious but what are the, the the aspects of that that we can continue as life resumes in whatever form it will um, so we thought today sort of this idea of no pain, no gain, or, you know, which could be said as you have to exercise has to be miserable all the time. And the only type of exercise that counts or makes progress is, is a hard exercise or, or a really vigorous form of exercise. Yeah. I actually remember the first few times I tried quote unquote exercising in my, my teen years, we'll say, um, trying to do, you know, a series of like jogging in place and jumping jacks and sprinting in place or what it was not well thought out. But I just remember not being able to make it through and I'm going to truly embarrass myself here, a single Jimmy Buffett song going with the beat because I was just exhausted and I'd get through like a minute of this like vigorous activity and I'd just be like, Well, I'm done exercising for nineteen ninety nine um, and that would be it. Tell me more about this going with the beat. How did that work? Oh, not well. I also had no rhythm, um, but we also only really had like Jimmy Buffett and Springsteen CDs in my house or records. So yeah, throw on, throw on, right. you know, Margaritaville or Springsteen born in the USA and try to rock out for, you know, youth, three in, minutes. youth in New Jersey. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. 
Yeah. So I think a good place to start with this is, is just like, what is too easy or too hard, right? And what do you have any thoughts on what is too easy or too hard? Yeah. I mean, I think most people think that, uh, I mean, this is, this is something I've learned in the last couple of years as far as, you know, especially easy running is concerned. I mean, for a lot of people, running easy is super difficult um, because they literally can't. Like right. The the walk to run transition is just, you know, once you go into any level of running, it's going to be in the hard zone. So I think that's super difficult for a lot of like newer athletes. But then I think a fair number of us kind of come into running and really only ever learn how to run at a pace that's like just a little too hard for like what the easy run should be like right. 5% over. I'm going to say like five to 10% over. Um, but then ultimately like then our fast runs end up not being any faster than our, our easy runs. Right. And, and that may be okay too, right? Like it might just be that some days you're running and, and some days you're walking or, or, you know, having an off day or something too. Right. And that's, I think where, our consummate athlete idea where we're using cross training and then, you know, whatever modes of exercise are available um, sort of fits into that, right? Where you're, you're exactly right that at some point as you're starting running, you may like be going pretty fast for your fitness just simply by transitioning to running. Um, and that can take all sorts of different forms. We've covered that in a couple Q and A's. Um, but it, again, it might be a run walk. It might be, you know, running for 30 seconds and then walking for a few minutes, right? There's lots of different ways that that could be a higher intensity workout for you. And then walking, hiking, um, you know, bicycling could all sort of take form of your lower intensity days, right? Yeah. And I think, especially as you become more of an established runner, I'll say, um, a lot of the like going easy stuff gets kind of nixed for the sake of, I'm going to say ego. And I mean, I'll put myself in this, like if you have a pace thing on your watch and you know, you kind of have your, like, you know what your like normal pace is. I think you hit a point where you stop being able to like do a nine minute mile or like a, you know, eight forty five minute mile or whatever, because that number doesn't look right on your like it doesn't look like fast enough on your watch you're like embarrassed by the number and you know for some people that might be like a 12 minute mile for some people that might be a seven minute mile um but you just start getting really like in your own head and i think the same applies to bikes with wattage right like you just can't handle seeing the watts down at like 130 or something right um and so you end up in this weird gray zone of training all the time because you're afraid to let it drop into like actually easy because the numbers just don't seem badass enough. Right. And I think, you know, before we get too far down the, I want to just sort of go over like too easy or too hard. And I, I think the idea is that like someday should feel light. And this would be like our talk test would be a classic um, measure of that, right? You're doing something where you can talk to someone. Okay, I'd like to dig into this a little bit. Sure. Because, like, I can tell you, I have been going, like, I think almost everyone who's ridden a bike with other people will relate to this. The, you're going with a group, and you are murdering yourself. But if someone asks you a question, you will do, like, the, <gasps> yes, I absolutely can totally talk right now. This is totally easy. No problem whatsoever. And then you, like, turn, like, you know, put your head down to, like, pretend that you're, like, snot rocketing. But really, you're, like, <gasps> 
Yeah. So there's sort of that transition, right? So there's that deepening of breath, which is what you're describing, where you might get like short bursts out. And that would be more middle ground. I just gave myself shortness of breath doing that. Where we're sort of, you know, you're not necessarily over what we might call like a threshold or an anaerobic threshold where it's, you know, single words or very short bursts, right? Where that would become the high intensity zone. It's more that where you, you can't explain a whole story to someone without taking this gasping breath in between, right? So that middle ground intensity is sort of what we want to come back from and get back more to that like paragraph type, you know, the the other way that sometimes this is measured and and there's variability in people's breathing ability, but that sort of, can you breathe through your nose? Right. Um, And that would be sort of a very easy intensity and, and might take some focus, but that would be another test. Steven Seiler was just on recently and suggested too. The other way you could look at this is if you're a runner, you could go do say a 10 K pick a, a pace and stick to that very strict pace on your watch and watch your heart rate. And if the heart rate, you know, for the first mile or kilometer is, you know, say you're running at 140 beats and you're doing what five and a half minute kilometers, which most runners would think is not very fast, maybe um, depending on where you're at, but would you say that and what would you say like eight and a half, nine minute miles or where would you say, what would you suggest that what would be like casual? Yes. <laughs> okay. So we'll say that. So you're running whatever slower running for you means, um, or even just your normal pace, whatever you think your pace is, you're going to go run. Cyclists could do the same thing at, you know, the classic 200 Watts that every, every man rides at is 200 Watts. So you're going to ride. And then over the course of this workout, so a 10 K run, um, you know, a 30 kilometer bike ride, you're going to try and stay very strictly at that output and then just watch your heart rate. And if the heart rate after a good warm up, if the heart rate starts drifting or decoupling, so by the end of that workout, if you're at like 165 beats, it might not be that qu- quite that obvious. But again, if you're moving from like 130, 140, 150 uh, type beats, then that's cardiac drift, right? So it means that at that stable workload, you've seen your the strain on your system has increased. So by definition, then you're not under what we might call an aerobic threshold, not anaerobic threshold, but an, an aerobic threshold. Unspace aerobic right? threshold. Or, or we're moving into, again, if we talk about that deepening of breath, we're moving into that more moderate, you know, or we could call that the black hole intensity, right? Not that any intensity is bad, but that's where cr- done chronically, that's becoming too hard. And is that what people talk about when they talk about that, like middle ground or junk miles? Yeah, junk miles could mean too easy. A lot of times it's like that noodling, like in cycling, it would be like you're just riding too easy all the time or coasting around. Um, And then I often, and this is debatable, but you'll often see it described too as junk miles or this sort of like just a bit too hard, but still you're not getting up into that maybe sweet spot, tempo, threshold. Like it's still not quite hard enough, but it's also... You know, it, 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 I always say it's like that quote unquote feels like a good workout. You know, I just feel like I want to get a good workout, right? And if you run a 10K at whatever, you know, that's sustainable, but you can still sort of talk to your friend, but like you're carrying a good pace, right? You, you feel like you got a good workout, but if you do that every day, then you're just going to get slower and slower and slower. And it's going to, you know, that's where injuries and stuff start happening, right? Now, where does like, math come into this because i find this one's always a little weird between like the bike and the run and like 
to me, that almost always feels like a bit middle groundy. <clears throat> yeah. And we always want to be careful combining too many methodologies, right? I think whatever, you know, you believe or, or like it, it's just try, like commit to something. So Maffetone is a great method. I really like it. And I think it, depending on how people are wired up, some people really like polarized. Some people really like sweet spots. Some people really like math and we all want to be part of like a, 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 a camp, right. Or a, a group you know, a methodology. And I think having some sort of methodology and giving it an honest try, you'll probably find whatever you try works pretty well. Unless you're stacking methodologies. Well, you can't, like... you can't do that. Um, so you'll, you'll see things where they, we try and like compare math to sweet spot to this and like cross over all the zones, right? But it, it, the utility in that is not great. But you asked about math. So maffetone is the idea very roughly, and, and this could be done more specifically, but the rough idea is you take 180 minus your age, and that's sort of this rough aerobic limit that you're going to run under, right? Um, and there's a bit of adjustments we can make for this, but you know it, it's the rough idea. So you take your age, and then that's, so say it's 140 for a lot of us, plus or minus, and just you your, bite your tongue glassford yeah and it, it's just again like 70 percent like of max heart rate or or 140 or use the math thing and just stick right to the method methodology and, and most people will find that running under 140 plus or minus is going to be pretty challenging right um and so what should happen and greg layman uh physiotherapist and you know not necessarily like a running coach or anything he was just on and said personally he finally bit the 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 bullet bit the he finally put the work in committed to a methodology and he did three months of very honest math what he felt was super slow and he and he what he saw was that same test i described that sort of 10k run or whatever at the under 140 beats he said it was super slow when he started two three months down the road he's knocked a ton of time off of that and it still feels super easy right and this is this idea maffetone idea is the you run slow to get fast, right? And it's created some phenomenal triathletes over the years. Um, you know, a lot of people do really well with that basic aerobic conditioning. And then last point on this is that the the Maffetone idea, and, and you see this in, what was that book just recently? Is it The Uphill Athlete? Yes. The Scott Johnson yeah. one? That is a great book if you want to get just a basic understanding of a system that uses a bit of maffetone, but also shows you how to progress from that over the course of like a year towards a goal. I was also going to jump in and say Iron War by Matt Fitzgerald. Is if you want the, a narrative. Yeah. If you want a narrative about like why math is awesome, uh, talking about Mark Allen in, in Iron Man back in the 80s, it's a phenomenal read. And I think the cool thing there at that narrative is you can see two very different, like almost the no pain, no gain versus the like maffetone, like super smart training. Yes. Um, and two people just <laughs> go into war, an iron war, if you will. Um, I legitimately, I'm like thinking, as I was thinking, I wanted to mention Iron War. I was like, I need to reread that. I've probably read that book, like not even it's, kidding, like 50 yeah, times. Phenomenal book. I don't, well, maybe that's not true. I was going to say, I don't read that much like fiction about sport, but maybe I do. But that book is, even if you don't like Iron Man, if you don't like sports, I don't know why you're listening <laughs> to the podcast, yeah, weird but thanks for being here. Um where was I going with that? So we had the Maffetone 180. You've completely derailed me. Sorry. Talking about books. You can't do this to me. Uh, uphill athlete. Uphill athlete. Perfect. 180 minus your age. You have derailed me I completely. I know. I know. I think the point just being um, 
really any of these systems, if you try them for long enough, you're going to have gains. You just can't, you know, add systems on top of systems on top of systems. No, and I guess so. Oh, here's where I was going. So there's they the, both those books use this a concept of aerobic deficiency syndrome, which makes it sound really dire. But the idea that for health, and this is very central to Maffetone, is is it's a very health oriented thing. Is that we we want a very strong aerobic system because that means that our bodies are running very well. Again, this is what humans were meant to do: is to travel far distances. You know, mostly walking, a bit of running. Um, you know, we're very good aerobic machines. And if our aerobic metabolism, this is our mitochondria that you're probably hearing with like aging podcasts and all this, um, you know, health and longevity with mitochondria are the, the powerhouses of the cell. And that's what's getting built largely with our aerobic adaptations via something like an, you know, low intensity or maffetone type training. Um, is really going to augment health. And when we're concerned about body composition, we're concerned about energy throughout the day, this is really what's part of it. So in the Maffetone method and in this uphill athlete, they make the argument that like, if you aren't, if you're the type of person that like under 140 or under 70%, this low intensity gear, just, you can't do much. Like you're maxed out, you're at 80%, you know, just walking, you know, you're the type of person that can hit max heart rate any day, right? Then you, you have this, again, this direly described aerobic deficiency syndrome that the upside of the syndrome is that just by training at this lower intensity, you will get significantly better if you dedicate, just like Greg Lehman did, these two or three months to this type of training, right? You don't, you're actually the person where no pain, no gain could be phenomenally effective if you have the discipline for it. Sorry, when you say that, you mean... Like, what do you mean by no pain, no gain? So in this case, the person would be like, this isn't even training. Like I'm essentially walking for the first couple weeks, you know, and maybe some run walks and, and, you know, easing into this, um, you know, math will say even like running with a tailwind, running slightly downhill. These are ways to get running with a bit of speed, but stay under this limit. So the training will feel easy to start. But if you invest the time, you'll start running faster and faster as your aerobic system gets stronger. And you should actually notice that like health and energy and body composition start tracking with that. So to me, that's actually no pain comma gain. Right. Yeah, exactly. That's the method we're doing here is it's. Yeah, it's <laughs> but it's the opposite of no pain, no gain. So, yeah. So it, this is suggesting that without pain, you can have gain. Yes, this is. This is the problem, I think, with the whole no pain, no gain thing that well, Steven why we Tyler wanted... mentions in his TED Talk. Right, which we'll is, link to. Yeah, it's just that like the no pain, no gain cliche has been so ingrained in all of our brains for like, I mean, since I was in gym class in like first grade. Um, you know, this is like on the wall in, in elementary school, for God's sake. So I think it's really hard to just even have this conversation because even if all of the stuff makes sense, I think it's just the phrase no pain no gain is so naturally ingrained in our yeah, uh, we get into rhyme yes starting to turn into dr seuss here it's just such a huge well, yeah cliche that it's hard to separate from and it's hard to even really like talk about because it's just yeah, and, and i don't think for anyone really like again you can if you're going to do a strength training program i think getting in there a couple times a week and pushing on something like we know that like giving a bit of a push in the gyms, you know, working with some sort of I'm trying to think what Stu Phillips called this working with intention, 
you know, really pulling hard on that last set of pull-ups or that last squat, you know, good form, but progressing that. It's not that you don't ever work hard. It's that you don't do it every single day, right? Because if you're right. maxing out every single day or getting a quote-unquote good workout every day, then that's the situation we're in, right? Um, do we have to... Where do you want to go now? I, I'm thinking... Well, I actually just wanted to kind of pick your brain a little bit just on the heart rate side of things, um, really specifically like the actual like measuring of it. So for, for me, for example... Like I rarely use heart rate when I, when I run, I tend to do things by feel, but when I do use heart rate, I actually just use my wrist, like my in watch wrist monitor, um, which I mean, we know is not exactly like the most. I ideal. still haven't been impressed. I'm sure there's some people it works okay for. I think but... it actually works decently on me, but I would not say that it's like perfect. And so when you're talking about math, like I think my beats could be like wildly yeah what i've seen is especially as the heart rates start coming up it's not great and if there's vibration it cannot be great and then again you get into people like with different wrist sizes and the fit of the band yeah but my issue for and i'm going to say this is really maybe female runner specific but i think men who do ultra can relate to this though i can't wear a heart rate strap because between strap bra strap and then vest it's just too much stuff on my chest. Like I, like it would restrict my breathing too much to have three straps pressing in. Yeah. So, you know, heart rate is just not a thing that I can really like work with running. Yeah. So, I mean, you may have to work around that and, and use a different type of band and you could try, you know, calibrating the band. If you can tolerate the strap at any intensity, you could try and like figure that out. Um, you know, use two different ones maybe if you have option to that, but you, you have to work with what you have to work with. And I think it's, it's really calibrating that feeling, right? So it, it could be that you have to go back and, and just whatever pace you're running at every single day, you know, A, have you done any sort of intensity sort of test to gauge your progress, right? That could be the Maffetone test is just a 30 minute test at a set heart rate. Um, so you, again, we'll run into this heart rate limit with that. Or it could be an actual distance test, right? Because then you can set zones. And this is where I get frustrated is that everyone runs at, you know, four and a half minute kilometers, but few people can test at, you know, to set up a set of zones, whatever zones you want to set up, you can look up a calculator on the internet. But few, usually what happens, again, I mentioned on cycling, all masters men ride at 200 watts all the time, but you know, their thresholds that the zones are based off of could vary from 220 to say 300 on average, but everyone rides at 200 watts at all times. And, and so this has always like boggled my mind a little bit, right? And I think it's just, that's the the speed where you feel like you're cycling, you know, and, and you're not just, you know, going, going slow. It's really what you're describing with running, right? Just in cycling, it's not as hard an endpoint. The bicycle is very efficient. So you roll along, but the feeling is not as great. So it's what you might have to do is actually test, get some stuff and then follow a zone, whatever system of zones you want to follow. And and what you'll find is that those zones should put you into that. So you might just go off of that, that pace or speed, right? And, and for right. road runners or road cyclists, that's going to be decent. And then your breathing again is just trying to bring in it, bring in that, that concept. But I, I, I do think I've seen some people with the heart rate straps, trying different straps cloth versus plastic and you can wear them backwards some smaller people with backward strap can sometimes be helpful 
I wish Lululemon still made their bra strap heart rate monitor. It was a genius invention and I think it helped a fair bit. So if anyone's wants to steal that trademark. Or if anyone's an inventor and wants to get in touch for a collaboration, uh, hit us up. I guess. I don't know what the trademarks are like on that, but give it, I, I'm pretty sure they worked well. I don't know why they stopped doing it, but there you go. So I think we were touching though on perceived exertion and or, or RPE, rate of perceived exertion, which I think is important. So often you'll see this, there's two types. There's how hard is this effort? You're in your 5K test going as hard as you can. You're at, you know, like, you know, almost done 5K. You might be at like a 10 out of 10. You know, you're going to collapse on the finish line dramatically. So that might be a 10 out of 10. It might be the end of a marathon, might be an even better 10 out of 10. Like you've emptied the tank. You've like body's been screaming to stop. So that's like a 10 out of 10, right? The tricky part is that most people use the scale and I'm as guilty over the years of also doing this where like you want to make it sort of like percent of max heart rate or something. So people will think, oh, seven out of 10 is an endurance ride or an endurance run, seven out of 10. But the problem with that, and if you look into the the scales, when we look at both both in the workout perceived exertion and then also what we might call the session RPE. So how hard was that session? People will often just, it's like six and sevens all the time. And so I've like beat my head against, is this a, you know, an issue understanding the scale or is this actually where people actually often run in like a middle ground type perceived exertion? It's not a nine, 10 out of 10. It's not a two, three out of 10, but it's in the middle there. I feel like sports psychologists would have a field day if they ever tried to like really dig into this, like the psychology behind saying it's a six or seven versus a four or five. Because if you say it's a four or five, it like doesn't count as exercise. Right. And so I, I've like beat my head and there are some decent studies around this and like how people perceive the scales and understand the scales and the scales ultimately are flawed, right? Like how do you describe, like it's sort of arbitrary to use this scale, right? Like how did it feel? Don't get me started on the Borg scale. So I've tried to put more time with clients because this is a way that we can, can discuss this as coaches and athletes, right? Um, and I think it is important. Like I beat myself up over this quite a bit as Molly knows, I'll, I'll like sit just talking to myself and reading things Super and, fun, guys. Super and, fun. and trying to decide because you have to action this with a bunch of people, right? I have a lot of busy people that I coach and you're like, okay, is this worth, is this a fight? Like, should we even use this thing? Right? Like, do we need more metrics and data? Right. And, and the, the thing is that this is actually what you're, so Molly's going to go out and do a run and let's say her coach, David, has said, you know, go, Molly, go do a long run and say a, a two hour run. And I want this to be an endurance run, low intensity, whatever verbiage he uses around that. Now, in his head, he's thinking at the end of this run, she's going to be like, you know, a three, four, because she's an ultra runner. So two hours isn't like by any means maximal on duration or intensity. So I'm thinking this is going to be like, you know, three, four, maybe. But Molly goes out and runs maybe a little too hard or maybe it's really hot or, you know, at altitude or, you know, maybe she's just mentally a little tired. You know, work's been really hard. There's a virus just running rampant in the world. So maybe this feels more like a five, six for Molly. And so she rates it as a five, six in her, her training log. And David, the coach is like, oh. So that was like a little harder than I had thought, 
right? And I think that's sometimes where the utility is, is that it's not wrong in any case, but we have this difference in what was expected, what was planned versus what happened. And so this is where maybe we can take action and say, A, should we reduce the load in the coming days? Or B, is there a discussion to be had about how hard, you know, Molly's pushing for her like four minute Ks all the time? Or with the heat, does she, she is not maybe because you know maybe there's a heart rate data or or something with the heat that Molly had to actually adjust the pacing because she was getting again back to that heart rate drift. The the actual pace should slow when we are at altitude or heat, again to in line with that perceived exertion and that heart rate's going to help us with that too potentially. So I think what I, my whole point of bringing this, this random story and anecdotes up around perceived exertion is that I think this no pain, no gain is, is tapping into this idea of what is the objective of today's workout? Is it low intensity or is it a higher intensity, like focused workout, right? And trying to give people the power that on the low intensity days, these should be the adventurous days, the conversational days, you know, not the non-beneficial days, because the aerobic training is very, very important, right? But trying to not be on the limit where the some of that enjoyment and that ability to go longer and to come back again tomorrow is lost by going too hard. Right, right. Makes sense. So I think the last thing to touch on is your idea of this, uh, what is the goal of most sessions? Right, and, and I mean, I think, really we're getting into that with that perceived exertion right is if i can enjoy most days and feel conversational and see my aerobic system improving and my paces improving then hopefully i'll come back and train again tomorrow hopefully because i'm at a a a two three four on my endurance sessions out of ten i have lots of capacity to come back tomorrow and do another two three four workout or maybe do a eight nine you know, high intensity session, right? So it, what it's doing is it's it's making sure that my consistency, my ability to come back tomorrow and the next day and next month and the year is, is there, right? And that's really the heart of this uh, perceived exertion, this no pain, no gain, this low intensity, high intensity, is that it's all about consistency. And if we can accumulate more minutes to steal a Steven Seiler concept, you know, both at high intensity and at low intensity, right? We can train more, right? And that was the bulk of Steven Seiler's research on elites is that they they trained at low intensity more often to accumulate more time, more volume, right? And, and we've seen this in studies. Um, we had Marco Altini on with HRV for training, and he did uh, some ex- analysis just on himself with his running where he actually did the same thing that Greg Lehman did, basically slowed himself down, you know, and did low intensity training for a while and saw his paces finally improve after plateauing. Right. 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 So I think consistency being the most important thing in training, again, that in a year from now you're still training. So all our decisions and training should be based around that, that idea of, can you come back tomorrow? Right. So that's why when we do our interval sessions, we're often thinking eight, nine out of 10 for session RPE, you know, leaving a rep in the bank, you know, I could do more, you know, when I, when an athlete says, Oh, I, I did the test today. It went great, but I think I could do, you know, three, four, you know, five Watts. I think, I think I could improve it next time. Well, cool. Let's go train for another month 
with that motivation, right? right? Not do it tomorrow to try yeah, to Yeah, or save it for the race, right? Like you can pull the baby, I always say pull the baby off the car. Um, you can always pull- What does that even mean? <laughs> pull the, you can always pull the baby off the car another day. Um, you want to save the, it's, what is it? You pull the car off the baby, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah but it sounds nicer if you're pulling the baby off the car. And a uh, race day, right? Like you save the 10 out of 10 for race day. Like that's your marathon day, right? But what you'll see is that people mentally, again, this is the perceived exertion. So it doesn't mean that you're, you're having the best workout of all time, but that's the tricky bit is that we're at like six sevens all the time, right? And so we're burning that energy like slowly over many, many days so that when we get to test day, right? Race day, Strava day, you know, we, we've burnt, burnt that pulling the car off the baby <laughs> right so moral of the story keep your easy days easy make the hard days hard i think so yeah yeah there's there's so many different directions you could go with that concept right i, I think the only other interesting thing and i'll try and link to this is you'll have the people who are our more middle ground trainers so this is our classic like sweet spot or tempo right we've had steve neal who i always identify which i he'd probably disagree but as, as using tempo more often and he has a great argument for that and has had great success with that. I would say I'm a product of using a lot of tempo-based training, zone three-based training, like right in the heart of that middle ground. I was going to make fun of you here, but I won't. You're a tremendous athlete. And then, well, it, it creates a, a certain type of athlete, right? But I'm getting to the point of how you make this work. And then there was a great episode I thought of uh, Frank Overton's podcast. He's who I've called Mr. Sweet Spot. He does not appreciate it. He I might think, send you a cease and desist no, order. He now. actually wrote it down on his website. I think he's okay with it. I don't think he'd call himself Mr. Sweet Spot. But. So he actually did an episode where he looked at a bunch of the, like, how much low intensity, or we could call it, like, polarized, his Sweet Spot plans are. And, and the most, like, they're, like, bread and butter Sweet Spot plans. He went through all of this and calculated how much time. And there's still a big chunk. And if I remember right, it actually was in around that 80% low intensity, 20% of the time in the sweet spot tempo middle ground ranges, right? So in my mind, the thing is you're sort of choosing what are you trying to improve right now? What time of year is it? What type of event are you preparing for? And a lot of your training is easy, low and not easy as much as low intensity. Again, look up your zones, use whatever methodology you want. And then you're going to put focus into about 20% of your sessions or time or however you want to divide that out, right? And so you might be a sweet spot person. You might love that whole concept. You might be a tempo person. You might really do well with that, you know, sort of moderate intensity. You might be a higher intensity person who likes, you know, really drilling intervals. But we just need to be careful that we're balancing that, right? And we're having that change in duration, change in intensity day to day. Right. And, and I think block to block too, month to month, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Awesome. So that's, that's, I think, pretty much covers our whole no pain, no gain question mark. Yeah, I don't know, maybe covers, but at least introduces it, right? And gets people thinking about like, how does your week, you know, jive? Like you might be like Molly was a, a very low intensity, I would say you just, you know, almost Maffetone style, like just grind out longer and longer runs and you know you'd listen to your podcast and you did quite well that way and that people might love that right yeah i still really hate intervals i'm not gonna lie and i think the nice thing right now i'm seeing with clients too is a lot of cases of okay you know i've come to terms with this whole thing 
what can I focus on this month? Like, what is the thing I can get better at? And, you know, we're sort of finding, you know, the local hill or trying to make those intervals. And this is what I love about coaches when we can actually start getting in and, you know, okay, I'm looking for like an eight minute interval. Like you go try and figure out where to do that and show me. And then, okay, that looked good. And then let's try and like build on that. Right. And it might be changing the intensity, the duration, the maybe shorten it for the what's around. Right. And we just play around with trying to improve that one you know session that one ability that one thing right and it's that focused workout and then i'm also seeing to balance that more and more clients are now going on some adventures right and and doing some lower intensity you know fun rides like i think that's the heart of this whole discussion is like there can be fun right And, and that's what keeps you coming back yeah i mean i think that's why a lot of people end up dropping out i mean like we were sort of saying in the very beginning of this episode you know, a lot of people will pick up running or something for, you know, a few weeks and then drop out of it because it just, it sucks. Right. Yeah. And that's the, the heart of the thing is that, you know, we can debate which intensity things work in studies, but when you look at how many people drop out of physical activity or leave cycling or leave running, right. And, and it's could be injury, could be illness. It could be, you know, quote unquote burnout or overtraining, Um, It might just not feel good, right? And when life gets hard, like you sort of don't want this thing that's just going to be like really, really miserable, right? You want something that on the whole is positive. Right. So if you you can figure out what feels positive for you, at least that way, you know, even if you have to drop out of intensity for a while because life is hard enough, like at least you have this other outlet that actually is easy and fun to to go to. Yeah. And I would never, I, I don't think for most people, I would ever hesitate to do that, right? To go back to that low intensity as your base, right? Like this is the foundation of that. And I think when we have a high stress lifestyle, um, again, I, I Instagrammed, I still had it, excuse me, I didn't do a post about it uh, on the site, but I did an Instagram there sort of a few weeks after we got back from Spain and all the, the COVID stuff and the fallout of that. And just, we were traveling and, you know, trying to get everything set up at home and then under quarantine. And I didn't do intensity, I think for like a month. So like I didn't go over probably 75% of max heart rate, um, just it, it, I didn't have it in me and I didn't want to get sick with all the travel and everything that was going on. Right. And, and I think that was just, sometimes you have to pick those battles. Right. And, and I came back a month later and I would say I was as fit or fitter than when we left Spain. Right. I was still absorbing a bunch of that training I had done before. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. So I think, yeah, I think if there's any message, it's, you know, be bold right now and try some low intensity, right? Like try looking up what your, you know, quote unquote zones are or how you want to define it and just try it, right? Like what do you, you know, what there's really nothing you have to lose by training consistently for a few weeks and just seeing what that might do to your training. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, I think we'll, we'll leave it there. We'll see you guys again on Tuesday with our next episode. And of course, thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed this episode, um, head over to consummateathlete.com for show notes and all the other info. Let us know what you think about the new site. Um, Subscribe to the podcast, rate, review, all of that stuff really, really helps. And now you can follow Consummate Athlete on Instagram and Twitter as well. So head on over and do that if you're not already on there. 
Hey everyone, thanks so much for tuning in to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. While you still have your podcast app open, do us a huge favor, head over to iTunes or whatever app you're listening in and rate and review the podcast. It's super helpful. It, you know, gets us more guests on the show. It gets me a dog. Um, and it's just, you know, a good way to give back if we've provided any kind of value to you throughout all of the episodes you've listened to. If you're looking for the show notes, you can find those at www.consummateathlete.com. We have lots of other content over there and any information about coaching or events can also be found at that same website. And you can find us on the social medias at Molly J. Herford and at Peter Glassford on Twitter and Instagram. And we would love to hear from you. Thanks so much. And we will see you next week.